Welcome to Down There Aware, a podcast bringing attention to gynecologic cancers in women's healthcare. Disclaimer We cover many topics which some may find uncomfortable, and while we feel it is an important conversation to have, we understand it may not be for everyone. another episode of Down There Aware. I'm Alex. And I'm Mary, Alex's mama. And today is very close to my one-year anniversary of my cancer diagnosis. I was diagnosed on July 17th, 2019 with stage one endometrial cancer. Um, And today to not really celebrate that, but to commemorate that um, milestone in my life, we thought it might be interesting to listen to the very first episode of our podcast, the My Cancer Story, um, and comment on its accuracy um, or, you know, just about how it made us feel. Um, So that's what we're going to do now. I think the best way to start this podcast would be to tell you who I am and to give you a little bit of background about my cancer story. My name's Alex and I'm 33. I'm single. I have no children. But I have the best dog, and her name is Sadie. My cancer story starts like most people's, with a trip to the doctor. I've started a new birth control. I've had some skin issues, some acne issues, and I need to take control of this. I can tell that it's in line with my period and hormone fluctuations, so I'm assuming a hormonal birth control will take care of that. I took it as prescribed. My GP prescribed it and I subsequently bled for a month and not just a normal period. I bled so heavily for a month. I had to use a tampon, super plus, and an overnight pad, sometimes two kind of overlapping in the middle to make a super long one just for potential accidents. During this month, I actually took a trip to Scotland for work, and it was the most horrifying experience being on a five-hour flight and knowing that I could bleed over at any moment. Upon returning from my trip, I decided to go back to my GP and tell him that I was concerned that I had not only continue to bleed, but I was passing very large clots and I was changing a super plus tampon every 30 to 40 minutes. He ordered blood work and an ultrasound. The blood work came back with low iron and he deemed me anemic, probably from all the heavy bleeding. The ultrasound showed that I had a thick uterine lining. I didn't know what the heck that meant, but whatever. That comment, I didn't even know about what that meant, but whatever, is really what we started this podcast for because every woman should know what that means and what heavy bleeding can contribute to you and what a thick uterine lining means and what the dangers of that are. Yeah, what it might be pointing to. Uh, Did the doctor at that time say anything about this sometimes happens or if this is happening to you this might be why any of that um the only thing he really talked about were fibroids Mm. um you know that it might be a fibroid issue and that's why he wanted to do the dnc to go in and see what that was and you know that um a thick uterine lining could be indicative of um fibroids 
But other than that, not really. And frankly, it's at this point in my cancer journey that he should have said, these are symptoms of endometrial cancer. It's not common to happen in a 32-year-old, but I need you to know that that's a possibility. Well, and I think what we have seen, no doubt, over the last year is that because it isn't common or or wasn't common, you know, we understand now it's becoming more common for younger women to get endometrial cancer, but because it wasn't common, um, doctors just tend to um, put that in a box. And um, I, I don't really even know <laughs> how to reflect on that because as a layperson, it just seems um, like you can't have absolutes, especially in medicine. There just are not absolutes. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's listen to some more. And because of those two test results, he decided to send me to a specialist, a gynecologist in my area who specialized in heavy bleeding and other bleeding disorders. I set up an appointment as soon as I could. And when I visited with him, he was in the best mood and I really liked him. But he said, this is pretty common, particularly because you're overweight. But... It's a very simple fix. We just need to go in there and clean you out. It's called a DNC. And then after you're healed from that, we'll put in an IUD that will prevent your uterine lining from growing. So he, too, didn't say anything about the possibilities. Now, I get that they don't want to alarm you unnecessarily, Um But they need to tell you all of the possibilities. I mean, because I would much rather be more well-informed going into a procedure and then have it turn out to be nothing, it wasn't cancer, than to go in there thinking it's nothing and then be shocked a week later when they call you and tell you it's cancer. Well, and just think if your GP had said what he said, you know, referred you to a specialist and then you got home and thought you know he said that um people my age aren't you know prone to this type cancer so it's really nothing to worry about I probably just should be patient and see what's happening and then let's say you just decide not to go to the specialist and all the while what we know now is that cancer would have been growing and growing and growing well and (laughs) um This is kind of hypocritical of me, but I did that very thing (laughs) recently because I um, have been really tired lately and I went to my GP and they sent me to a pulmonologist to have a sleep study because I did an initial study and they said it was inconclusive. And I just got frustrated that I had to go see a specialist for something that is probably not a big deal. And so I canceled the appointment and I never did it. So I know it's a little bit different, but... Well, it's it's different also because of COVID. Yeah, well, and that's also... I canceled because I didn't want to mess with everything that was going on. But also, who knows, I probably would not have gone to see the specialist anyway. Well, you need to. But... (laughs) Says my mother. It's on... It is on tape. (laughs) (laughs) But um, just bringing that example up to say, we do that all the time. Yep. Yeah. It was just 
unpalatable. It was so <laughs> frustrating and to see him do it. And I was like, I get that that's probably exactly what you do in the OR, but I don't need to see that. If you could see the motion he did when he was describing cleaning me out, you would cringe too. But it seemed like a simple plan. He said it could be precancerous, but that I was for sure too young to get endometrial cancer. So we scheduled the DNC, and I had that on July 10th, 2019. It went really well. Days before the procedure, I went to Target with my mom because I was afraid I was going to have to buy adult diapers. That's not a lie. We (laughs) did that, and I didn't end up buying diapers or anything. Um, But I also we talked about it. I also had no bleeding after my surgery, like like none. So that was really interesting that, you know, I had read you could have severe bleeding for days and then I ended up having nothing. So, well, and that doctor, um, about how old would you say he is? Probably in his 40s, maybe 50s. So, you know, he's relatively young um, to be a doctor and maybe just in his own practice, he had not seen somebody your age with endometrial cancer. Well, and, you know... Uh, mom's good friend's husband is an OB-GYN and a cousin of ours is married to an OB-GYN and we reached out to both of them when all of this was going down and both of them said that they had never had a patient my age have endometrial cancer and they are both in their 60s maybe 70s so and they're retired so they have finished their course in medicine and and you know they've done it all and they still had never seen someone so young i was feeling so good i left for a work trip i had this trip planned it was a conference and it was in pennsylvania i had never been to pennsylvania so i was excited to check out the local area and enjoy the conference i got to pittsburgh and did what i normally do i walked around saw different local things ate different local food it was great The next morning, I had um, a little bit of free time before the opening reception of the conference. Being in Pittsburgh, I decided that it was worth a drive out to the 9-11 memorial. I rented a car and drove out to Shanksville to pay my respects and view the memorial. When was I ever going to be in western Pennsylvania again? The memorial was very moving, and I was emotional most of the day. Fortunately, I was alone and could really sink into my thoughts. After visiting the last of the 9-11 memorials, I jumped in the car and went to return it to the airport. I was in rush hour traffic, but I was definitely going to be able to make it, drop off my car, get an Uber, and catch the first opening reception, which I was really excited to go to because it was at the Andy Warhol Museum, and I really wanted to see that. On my drive on an unfamiliar highway in western Pennsylvania, headed to the Pittsburgh airport, I got a phone call. It was from a local member where I was from and decided to pick it up. It could be a work call. It could be, who knows? And the voice on the phone was unfamiliar, but he quickly confirmed my identity and said the pathology results from my DNC had come back and I had cancer. He said the word cancer like a million times. All I heard after that was, you'll probably have to have a hysterectomy. 
It's the only way to take care of it. And I just tried not to cry on the phone with a stranger. Alone, in a car, driving on some random Western Pennsylvania highway. And you know, we, um, we discussed about uh, being careful when you're signing papers, when you first go to a doctor, giving them permission to um, give you results because they say you can, can they give them over the phone? Can they leave them on a voicemail? Can they leave them with a family member? And, um, you know, you're sitting there the first time you've been in that office and you're um, checking the boxes and you don't ever dream that they're actually going to call you with a cancer diagnosis. It, it, it just isn't in your mind. And even at that, uh, you know, we really wanted to caution people to be careful about checking the boxes. Um, people came back to us and said, I don't care if you did check those boxes. They still shouldn't. He shouldn't have done it. He shouldn't have told you over the phone. But I, I don't, I mean, I get I get what they're saying, and I know I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that, but their papers are there for a reason, and the permission is there for a reason. So um, it's going to happen if you check the appropriate or inappropriate box. Uh, So just do it. Decide what you can live with and do it. So needless to say, I pulled over as soon as I could, got off the highway, found a gas station with a parking lot, pulled in, and parked my car. I didn't know what to do. For a long time, I just sat in silence. I sat crying over the word cancer, and I just, I didn't know what my next step should be. I have a friend who lives in Chicago, and we talk daily, usually through Facebook Messenger. So I messaged him and told him that I had cancer. He, too, was on the interstate driving home from work, and he said, I'm going to pull over and call you. He doesn't talk on the phone. So he called me, and I just lost it. I cried, and I screamed, and I cursed, and I just lost it. And after going through all of those emotions, we set forth a plan. I needed to tell my boss because I needed to go home tomorrow not on Friday when I was going to. I needed to call my parents. I needed to let them know. I was actually flying from Pittsburgh to Indiana to record some music for my sorority, and I needed to let them know. I started making a to-do list because that's what I do. I made all the phone calls I needed to make for logistics, and then I texted my brother. (laughs) I think I texted him something like, Hey, I have some really big bad news. Should I tell mom and dad on the phone now? Or should I fly home and tell them in person tomorrow? And he responded, um, can we talk? I just have to comment that this is very typical of me (laughs) and my relationship with my brother. So the first ticket I ever got, speeding ticket I ever got, I was 16 And I called him. He was in college. And I called him and I said, who do I tell first? (laughs) Do I tell mom first or do I tell dad first? And his reaction was, um, or his response was, you tell mom first, but then you tell dad and make him think that you're telling him first. (laughs) 
So we have everybody has complex relationships in their lives. Um, and so even though, you know, we've talked about it would have been nice to just call mom first. But the way my mind processed it, I had to do the logistics um, and then I had to figure out how the best way to tell them would be. And I just have one sibling, so he's the person I went to for <laughs> advice. And I don't have any angst about not being the first call. Everybody processes things differently, and um, Alex did it the way she needed to do it. So I get him on the phone, and I start crying, because apparently that's what I do now. I just cry. That hasn't stopped. <laughs> I still just cry continually. He started asking questions. Are you pregnant? Was his first question. Which is, I can't even. <laughs> I mean, like now looking back, like I get the way I worded it that maybe that would be a place, a conclusion to jump to. But like in the moment of having just been told you're going to have your uterus removed and you'll never have kids. His first question is, are you going to have a kid? <laughs> No, I'm not pregnant. What is it? I said I have cancer. He got really quiet. And he said, I'm sorry. And he said, call them. They need to know. So I hung up with him and called my parents. My mom answered. And I promptly asked her, is dad there? It was right around the time where he could be home, but he may not have been home depending on his commute that day. She said, yes, we're about to sit down for dinner. What's up? I asked, can you put it on speakerphone? Well, I later found out she thought that I had like gotten an award. So um, she said, sure. She put it on speakerphone. And I said, the results from my DNC came back and I have cancer. I'm working out the details to come home tomorrow. My parents are great. They said, we love you. Get home soon. We'll see you tomorrow. So the next step on my to-do list was to call Delta and figure out how to get home. Delta is amazing. Isn't it? I mean, it's very telling of the American life that we need to tell our family we have cancer and then we have to call Delta. <laughs> but again, You could be on a Delta commercial. <laughs> I could be on a Delta commercial. Honestly, I would give them a lot of praise because they handled it very well and not sponsored, but I could really um, go on for days and days about how well they handled it. Um, so even though it was not the cheapest ticket to get to Pennsylvania from um, Tallahassee, I have learned through traveling for work for quite some time that um, the company you go with matters, the customer service matters, the you know how they handle a lost bag or how they handle um, a missed flight. And so my loyalty has lent towards Delta and now even more so because of how they handled me getting home. Um, so just know, uh, to look for great customer service when you, um, are seeking different companies. They worked out with me because I had a return flight. All I had to do was pay the difference in the ticket. They would waive the change ticket fee. So for 80 bucks, I changed my ticket. The next step, I still had to drop my rental car off and get back to the hotel. So I did just that. After getting back to the hotel, I went into full research mode. I watched every YouTube video about somebody with endometrial cancer. I read every article I could. And everything was pretty positive. Everything was, if it's caught early, which mine was, you have a really good prognosis. 
you know, I think about the timing and just the fact that we live in a time where there is information at our fingertips. And so you were, you couldn't leave till the next day, but you were able to busy yourself with something productive. And, um, you know, years ago, when I was your age, I wouldn't have been able to do that. I'd have to go down to the library and it would have been closed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was really nice that I could just pop on the internet and that, um, and then it also wasn't just medical journals that I didn't understand all the words and everything, but it was someone sitting in front of a camera saying, Hey, this is my cancer story and talking about it. Um, some of it scared me because, um, a lot of the things I found were people who had been diagnosed at a more advanced stage and had to go through chemotherapy and radiation. Um, and fortunately I never had to go through those treatments. And so I didn't have that experience, but I did, um, kind of worry myself a little bit by thinking and seeing their experiences. Well, and you are your mother's daughter, and I am my daughter's mother, <laughs> because that's what I did that night. <laughs> I got on my computer, and I researched as well. So it was good. When you got home the next day, we were able to talk about, each of us, what we had found, and um, that was kind of a neat thing. It was coming to grips with the hysterectomy part. That was the most difficult. See, I was 32 and had recently been dumped, and children were not in my immediate future. So I was wondering what my options were. That night I was unable to sleep. So I ordered some sushi. That's, I mean, it's a theme on this podcast. It might as well be down there aware with a meal (laughs) because every time, and I know this is deep rooted in me that, you know, um, emotions, whether positive or negative are always fed with food. Um, but it's true that I, you know, in my mind, it was comforting to have something familiar and sushi is my favorite food. So I ordered some sushi and was able to like have that little piece of familiarity um, in the craziness, especially being in a place where I had never been to Pittsburgh before. I had never stayed in that hotel before. Um, it was just all so unfamiliar. Well, and you were by yourself. I mean, you got to give yourself a break. A little sushi is not going to kill you. It, it makes you feel even a little bit better after a cancer diagnosis. I think it's okay. Tucked up and watched the entire season of Blown Away on Netflix. It really is an incredible show. Check it out. Not sponsored. Because I didn't sleep that night, I got up early, took a shower, packed my bag, and left for the airport. And I sat in the airport and waited for my flight. I figured I'd waited in my hotel room long enough, might as well have a change of scenery. I got home later that day. I went over to my parents' house and just kind of soaked it all in. My mom is the best researcher I know. She has a doctorate, and she just wants all of the information she can gather. She, too, had gotten little sleep the night before and had done extensive research on different options and what uterine cancer meant for me. We talked through a lot of things and were mostly hopeful because of everything we had read. I called that day to schedule an oncology appointment, and to my surprise, they had one on Friday, just two days later. There must have been a cancellation or something. 
So Friday came and I went to the cancer center. My mom came with me and it was so weird. I didn't feel sick. I didn't have any issues other than the heavy bleeding that I thought the DNC had taken care of. Sitting in that waiting room really made me think. It made me think of everything all of these people had been through. Many people had no hair. Several looked gaunt and sickly. I thought about all of the chairs in there. Family members who sat with their loved ones. Patients waiting for the appointment that would give them the news they had hoped they'd never hear. I was called back and the doctor performed an exam and asked, do you want children? Of course I want children. I don't know many women who don't want children. I was 32 and I knew my time was ticking, but I had always wanted to be a mother. I thought about her question and answered yes, but I don't want cancer even more. I think if I could go back, I might have asked more questions and I might not have just stopped at a yes, but, you know, I don't want to have cancer. Um, I may have said, yes, so what are the options for preserving my fertility? I didn't even know fertility preservation was a phrase used in um, the gynecologic cancer space, but it is. And it's um, something that I've come to learn is actually pretty common. Well, and I think having gone through this experience with you, I think in this scenario, when the doctor told you what she told you, I think the best course of action would have been for her to say, I want you to go home, discuss this with your parents, do some research, whatever you need to do. We'll make an appointment for you for next week and we'll reconvene to get a decision from you. I do think there was too much of a rush to have the decision made at that very moment. And I'm, again, I'm not blaming people. I'm just, we want to learn from this experience. And, and help other people right. not make that same choice if they could possibly have other options. And right. although it is fictional, as we've mentioned, we've been rewatching Grey's Anatomy. And it's, you know, all about these surgeons who are just thirsty to get into the OR. And not saying my oncologist was that kind of person, but... The way she asked questions and the way she guided the conversation, it really seemed like she wanted to cut and have get that hysterectomy done. Yeah, like really like you had no other choice. This is how this particular type of cancer is treated. This is what needs to happen. And um, I just don't, I, I just believe a patient needs time to process such devastating news. It had only been three days since you even got the diagnosis. So um, I just think doctors need to take some time. And you know what? If your doctor doesn't allow you to take the time or doesn't suggest it, then you need to suggest it. And I will do that in the future if anything like this comes up again. Um, I will just leave the office so that I can, in my own home, in my own setting, with my own family, make a decision and feel good about the decision because I took my time. She took that as an affirmative, we are moving forward with the surgery. 
and we didn't even really discuss fertility saving options. I wouldn't say I have regrets about my decision to have a hysterectomy, but I wish I had thought about it a little bit longer. The doctor left and her PA came in to discuss scheduling the surgery. Now, I was supposed to be in Chicago in just three weeks for a work trip that happened to coincide with Nathan's birthday. And I hadn't seen him in years, and I really wanted to spend his birthday with him where he lived. So I asked, can we delay the surgery a few weeks? Much to my mother's dismay. And the PA said, well, what if we could schedule it soon enough that you could be well to go on your trip? And I said, really? Yeah, the surgery is robotic. You really won't have a long recovery time. So I said, okay, when are you talking about? How was next Tuesday? Just four days. Less than two weeks since my DNC and one week to the day I got the diagnosis. (laughs) That PA, I think, was trying to be as understanding as possible and but And accommodating. And accommodating. But even with robotic laparoscopic surgery, you're not gonna be ready to go somewhere in three weeks. And not only that being a work trip, there was no way for me to take the time off I needed from work and still go on that trip. Plus, you were still anemic. And, you know, to go on another trip when you have no energy anyway, and you've just had surgery, it wasn't a smart thing. Yeah. So in hindsight, maybe delaying the surgery, and then that would even give me even more time to think about you know, the ramifications of that and, um, and to really sink that um, decision in and, and be okay with it. We jumped at the opportunity because I didn't want cancer in my body. I wanted it out. I went home, tried to enjoy my weekend, which really just consisted of calling all of the people you needed to call before you posted on Facebook. And I went in and had my surgery on Tuesday, July 23rd, 2019. They left my ovaries, so I didn't go into menopause, which I'm grateful for. But, you know, there's something missing. The pathology report was fairly good. The tumor that they found in the uterus was so small, it probably wouldn't have shown up on a scan. After my doctor received the pathology report, Her recommendation was just for what we called surveillance. I would have a follow-up appointment every three months for two years, and then every six months for another three years. It seemed like everything was tied up into a neat little bow within two weeks' time, from cancer to surgery to healing. And on top of all of that, then we had COVID-19. So that protocol, the program that was set in place to do the close surveillance has not happened. Well, and also, in addition to that, my gynecologist who, or oncologist, excuse me, who performed the surgery left the practice or we're not really sure. She left the practice. Um, You just got a call. I got a call that I had a new oncologist. So Essentially, I really have had to start over, Um, and tomorrow I see my new oncologist for my one-year follow-up. 
I haven't seen anyone since January. You've only had one scan I've since only had the diagnosis. One, one CT scan since the diagnosis. Um, they are pretty much sure that keeping me on a six month to one year scan is fine as long as I am seen every three to four months in between. But my last oncology appointment was telehealth. So I was not examined. It was all anecdotal. Have you had any bleeding? Are you itching? Are you in pain? Those kinds of questions. And of course, no, I haven't been. And of course, I am not comfortable with that. (laughs) She needed to be seen. So, and you know, we're also um, navigating in this world of COVID. My appointment is going to look very different tomorrow. I have to go by myself. Um, When I go, I have to wear a mask and before I enter the building because it's an oncology building and there are dozens of patients who are immunodeficit because of chemotherapy and radiation, I will be um, asked a series of questions as well as have have my temperature taken before I even enter the building. So um, we're going to report on that next week to talk about, you know, what a cancer appointment looks like during this time, but, um, but that's and what your follow-up and is. what my follow-up is and what my results are. But, um, that will come next week. We would learn that there's so much more to the story and there's so much more to unpack. Even though my surgery removed all of the cancer we could see, there's still a vast void of knowledge about gynecologic cancers. I joined a group on Facebook for young women with endometrial cancer. Shout out to the Womb Tang clan who often will repost um, Down There Aware's posts and share not only with their members but on their public page um, to get the word out about endometrial cancer um, and all gynecologic cancers. I needed to know that someone had a shared experience. I read their stories, liked their photos, and really became part of a community. I love my peach sisters, but a thread that ran through every post and every comment and every story was the lack of knowledge about their disease. How many people weren't believed for their pain or were brushed off as just being a period. So the more I looked into it, they were right. I was so fortunate that with just in a couple months time, I went from being symptomatic to having a complete hysterectomy to remove my cancer. That's not a common story for people with this kind of cancer. Gynecologic cancers are some of the least researched cancers in the world. I thought, what can I do? How can I use my story? How can I be a voice for those who don't have one? The answer to that question became this podcast. Every week, we will explore a new aspect of gynecologic cancers and women's health care. My goal is simply to bring awareness to something that six months ago, I knew nothing about. We'll be interviewing fellow cancer survivors about their experience as well as medical professionals. We want to build a community and bring awareness to this topic. It's something that I didn't know about, and the signs and symptoms are all there. I didn't know what to look for, so I want to help spread the word to help women be down there aware. 
And six months later, our mission stays the same. We want to help women be down there aware, understand the risks and symptoms and signs that they can be looking for um, for all five of the gynecologic cancers. And we've also explored things that when we started this process, we had no idea existed, like interviewing Dr. Laura Mayhofer about pelvic floor uh, PT and pelvic floor health. And so we want to continue to do that. We've been doing this for six months, and we are so excited for our listeners um, who are really loyal, and we have really continued um, to grow that that base, and we're excited that you're with us on this journey. Um, please feel free to leave us a review and rate us, especially on iTunes. That really helps get the word out. And if you have any topics or questions that you would like covered, um, please feel free to email us down there aware at gmail.com. And as always, you can find us all over social media at Down There Aware on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and now Pinterest. As always, thanks for listening.